Okay, before we get into the beginning of Tiferet Yisrael, Perek Dalet, I want to start with the end of Perek Dalet, just so we appreciate that we're in for a treat. Okay, just, just, just pay close attention to how the Maharal ends this Perek. V'ra'u'i lahavin dvarim elu, shehem dvarim gedolim me'od. Right? It's fit to understand that these things, these are great things. And no more can be written on the subject. Even though they, it goes much deeper than we spoke about. But what we've said so far, there is absolutely no doubt with regard to them. For those who know how to understand matters of truth and of straightness. That's how the Maharal ends this parak. So, we're in for a treat. Okay. We spoke about... spoke about the idea of a human being being basically the perfection that comes along with an ashama and the imperfection that comes along with being in the natural universe. And what you have... When something is definitively perfection, definitively imperfection, what you get is potential, right? It is, it's, you know, always lacking, but always able to be better. And that's the meeting place of perfection and imperfection, is potential. And we spoke about how the way to bring about that spiritual perfection, how to execute your potential or to manifest your potential, is through the mitzvot. And we're going to explore that topic a little bit more today. Why is it that the mitzvot bring about spiritual perfection, right? Or the actualization of spiritual potential? Because the seichel, the divine wisdom, the, the, the seichel is, is, is the morale's terminology for what is not, what is not physical, right? It is a spiritual necessity that mandates these actions, right? Meaning we're not, you know, food is a physical necessity. The mitzvot, they're a spiritual necessity. But they work in the same way. Meaning, why do you eat? Aside from the fact that it tastes good, these are the things that your body wants in order to use them to stay alive. And so what you eat has everything to do with what your body and you as a human being require in order to keep going. It's not random. It's not like you have some arbitrary commandment to consume food multiple times a day. No, you have an absolute physical necessity to do so that your continued existence is dependent upon. The same thing goes with the mitzvot, right? Just from a spiritual perspective. These aren't arbitrary commandments. These aren't like tests of, oh, will we follow God? Will we not follow God? But they have basically nothing to do with us. As much as food has to do with our physical requirements, the mitzvot have to do with our spiritual requirements. It has everything to do with us. They're not arbitrary in the slightest. They're everything that we need to spiritually uh, prosper. Right? And when you do a commandment that the, that the, 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 the divine uh, uh, requires, right? Well then, if you're living your life in complete accordance with your spiritual, your deep spiritual necessities, then you're going to be someone who is more 
spiritually inlined, more spiritually perfect, right? If you live your life in absolute accordance with the optimal physical necessities, you'll be a perfect physical specimen. You know, you'll be perfectly healthy, you know, perfect uh, nutrition, perfect, whatever it is. If you, if you give yourself all the, the food and the exercise and the sleep and the comfort and whatever it may be, then you'll be a perfect you know, physical specimen. But what if you, that's if you follow what your natural body requires from a physical perspective. And what if you follow what the spiritual uh, orientation requires from a spiritual perspective, then you become a more spiritual being. And that's why the mitzvot are what brings us to actualize our spiritual potential. Because the mitzvot are not just commandments. There are they're, they're the enumerated spiritual necessities that we have. Right? We feel hungry because we're more attuned to our physical requirements. Right? And we, we don't feel... I don't know if you wake up in the morning and, and do you feel as much that you need to daven as you do eat or drink? Meaning there's a, we have a physical discomfort from a lack of our physical sustenance, right? So if we were more in tuned, oh, we would absolutely have a spiritual discomfort from our lack of spiritual necessity. And, and, and the truth is that exists in everyone. If someone has no purpose, and essentially what spiritual necessities come to do is actualize your very basic purpose in the world, if someone has no purpose, they don't want to be living anymore. Can you imagine how, what an awful, awful state to live in. A state that is so uncomfortable, so terrible, you no longer want to be alive and you're considering taking your own life. And yet it has nothing to do with physical discomfort. Can we even wrap our mind around such a thing? In fact, in, in, in recent history, where physical comforts and luxuries are at their absolute highest from what they've ever been, also the depression and suicide rate has been sky high. So what we see is this, this complete lack of connection between our physical requirements, which are being fully met, and our spiritual necessities. And yet when our spiritual necessities are so, so highly disregarded and ignored, our life is intolerable. Unbelievable. Our life is intolerable without purpose. So what we see is that while we are acutely aware of our physical needs, we are as well, you know, maybe less acutely aware, but are aware in, to some degree of our spiritual needs. And if they are not being met, oh, we're, we're, we're suffering, make no mistake, right? So that is, the, the, the two are very, very closely related. So the, 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 just like hunger is a physical response to a lack of, a lack of what our body needs. So, and, and eating is the remedy to that. And we know to eat. A, we were taught to eat, but B, we, we feel that we need it. So sometimes you're not as acutely aware of what you need spiritually. And that's what the mitzvot are. They are what you need spiritually. Not arbitrary obligations, not tests to see if you'll follow God. They are your spiritual needs that are as basic as food are your physical needs. They make sense. They fit with you. They're everything to do with who you are. Now, the purpose of the parak is really to explore that deep connection that exists between human beings and the mitzvot. To say that they are so deeply 
related to who we are as people and not arbitrary in the slightest degree. Not coincidental, not arbitrary in any way. They're an extension of who we are as people. That is what the Perik is uh, exploring. Right? So, the introduction, Masechet Makot, Darash Rabbi Simlai, Taryag Mitzvot Natnu Lo Lemoshe. Right? 613 mitzvot, we're given to Moshe. Shesa Lotase. Right? 365 Lotase. Right? Negative commandments. Kiminyani Motachama. What is the significance to that? Well, that's the amount of days in a solar calendar. Ramach ase, right? 248 positive commitments, kaminyan evarav, which are the, uh, correspond to the number of limbs in the human body. I'm not sure how we do this limb count here. It seems to be that what most of Chazal and Mishram take for granted. I'm not sure how we go about counting the limbs, but there are apparently 248 limbs of the human body. Um, I don't believe it's talking about bones, uh, strictly speaking, but limbs of the human body. Right? Shel Adam. Right? So, 613 mitzvot, that's broken down into 365, which is lotase, 248, which is ase, lotase is davka, keneged, minyan hachama, the solar calendar, and ase, keneged, ramach, evarim, uh, 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 the 248 limbs of the human body. Amar of Amnuna, micra, okay, well, micra, Right, so Moshe commanded us in Torah, Torah six eleven. Kodesh Baruch Hu said the first two Dibrot on his own. And well, I guess it depends if you go Rambam Raman, but we'll leave that aside. Uh, and there he is, six hundred thirteen, six hundred thirteen. Right? Okay. The says the Maharal. There is no doubt, no doubt, in your mind that these are not coincidental. Meaning two levels of non-coincidence. First of all, the number isn't coincidence. The number 613 is not a coincidence. The number 365 and 248 is not a coincidence. And the fact that the assays are 248 and the lowest assays are 365, not a coincidence. Nothing is a coincidence, right? Everything is, 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 is deeply, deeply related to one another. How so? So the Maharal first brings up like a common, uh, acute drusha. He brings up acute drusha. He's not for one for cute drushas. And you'll see after that he says, and this is clearly not the idea. He says, and don't tell me what's the significance of 365, uh, um, what's the significance of 365 uh, lotas to tell you that every day of the year, Every day of the year, you need to be nizhar, not to violate lotases. And then what's the I, and then why is 248 the ases to tell you that you should be careful to do the mitzvot with every limb in your body? He says we know that can't be the answer. This is a nice drasha, but we know that can't be the answer. Why? Because what would happen if you flip them? You make the same exact drasha, right? Every day of the year, you should be makbir on the mitzvah rases. Every single day of the year. And you should be nizhar with every fiber of your being, not to violate the lotases. He's saying, if you can flip the drushas, then there's no significance to them. <laughs> it's nice, but it's got to make sense why 248 is ase and why 365 is, is, is lotase. Because if you can flip them, then, then, that's, then that's coincidence. Then there's no significance to it, and there has to be significance to it. So let's start to understand what that significance is. Da, 
כאשר רצה השם יתברך לזכות את האדם שיקנה הנצחיות על ידי מצוות האלוקיות, אי אפשר שיקנה אותו רק על ידי שני מיני מצוות. He says, we can understand, we can understand, there must be two types of מצוות. Two types of commandments of responsibilities in general. Two types of responsibilities that we need to have to attain spiritual perfection. Two types. The first one is do not depart from, destroy, take away from whatever you want to say, what already exists. You were created at a certain stature. Do not dismantle that stature. Don't denigrate that stature. Don't destroy what exists. Right? That would be the lotases. Right? The destruction of what already exists. It's interesting, we saw in the Gemara in Brachot, I remember it from Brachot, I'm sure it appears also probably above Metziah, but uh, the, we saw in the Gemara in Brachot, there are certain Hashavot Aveda, certain things that uh, are you know, returning lost items that are beneath the cover of a Talmud Chacham to be carrying around. Beneath the cover of a Talmud Chacham. Okay, so that's a Talmud Chacham who's a massive, massive stature of kavod, but for your average person, it's not beneath their kavod. But every single human being has something that is beneath their kavod. Had something that is destructive because you are naturally on a level higher than the actions that you're performing. And if the actions that you're performing are, 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 are unfit, to, your, to, to how you were created, then you are destroying yourself. You're, you're, you're warping yourself from what you are. So what's a great example for that? What's a great example of that? The forbidden sexual relations. Without getting too deep into it, we're essentially, we're a goof and a neshama. Right? Can we all accept that? We're, we're, phys- well, we're some combination of physical and spiritual. That means that there's going to be some physical actions that are appropriate in a specific spiritual context. That makes sense. But because we're a combination of both, you know what's, you know what's fundamentally damaging to our being? Physical actions with no spiritual context. Right? Why? Well, because if you're a goof and a neshama, and you're both, then what's fit for you is only physical actions with a spiritual purpose and context. Right? And the more physical, the more basely physical that action is, the stricter the spiritual context needs to be around it. And if you're doing something that is physical with no spiritual context, you're destroying yourself. Because you're, you're already beyond that. You didn't need to make yourself more than that. God made yourself more than that. So if you are having a sexual relationship with no spiritual benefit whatsoever, you are destroying how God made you. Because God made you already as a balance. If there is no spiritual benefit to your sexual conduct, then what you're doing is only physical. That is not fit for your being as you were created. You're dismantling yourself. The The greater the physical act the more strict the spiritual context. So why don't you, why, why isn't it a problem for animals? Animals can do anything they want sexually, anything they want in terms of food, anything like, 
Yeah, that's exactly the point. Animals were also created by God. Not with the spiritual, physical union that we have that mandates how we, were, how we must behave, but with their own unique makeup that allows them to do pretty much anything. How we were created mandates how we must behave. And what the Lotases come in to say are, you are better than this action. Not because you did anything, not because you're so special. I mean, you are so special because God made you that way. And you're already better than this action. Violating this Lotase is, being, is behaving worse than the spiritual being that God made you. So what essentially is a Lotase? It's just preserving the status quo. Right? Just continuing to be as you are. And a lotase makes you less than what you are. But the lotases are just there for you to maintain your status quo. Do not, be, do not act like anything less than you are. Do not behave in a manner that is less spiritual than you are. Don't behave in a manner that's more physical than you are. Don't, don't, don't. Avoid the lotases and continue to be the unique being that a Kaddish Baruch Hu made you. That's what the lotases are. They're not really for self-improvement. It's just for not destroying the being that God made you. That is what the lotases are for, right? And then what is the chelak hasheni that needs to exist? Well, how do you build yourself up? We just said a human being is raw potential. That's what we are. Well, we want to actualize that potential. How do you actualize that potential? Well, you do things. Right? You do things of, of, of inherent spiritual value. And that is how you make yourself better. Those are the mitzvah asay. Says the Maharal, it's, 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 just, it's just logical. It's just logical. Kadesh Baruch Hu made you of a certain stature. Just by nature of who you are. You're not an animal. You're already better. So don't behave like one. Those are the lotases. But Kodesh Baruch Hu also created you, not just where you are, but with limitless potential. How do you tap into that? Well, those are the ases. Those are the two chalakim of the mitzvot. And if you look, you explore this to its depth, you're going to find that this world the reality that we live in has two, two basic components. And we can understand those components by who's in charge of those components. The first component is the makeup of the physical world. We're talking about the physical world. Talking about the physical world. The Maharal often likes to use the following two terms that it's going to help us out here. Chomer and Tzura. Chomer is content. Right? What's the Chomer of this plank right here? Well, it's wood. Well, isn't the Chomer of this desk also wood? Yeah, sure. So they're the same. They're not the same. How do they differ? The Tzura. The physical makeup, it's the same. It's the, that is the most physical component of it. The tzura doesn't really have to do with its physical makeup. If you put a desk and a chair that are made of wood under a microscope, you know what you see? The same thing. But you know they're different. Why? 
They were designed differently for different intentions. Right? So their tsura is reflecting of their purpose, and their chomer is reflecting of their, their physical makeup. Okay. So too, in the world, you basically have a chomer and a tsura. You have the physical construct of the world. Says the Maharal, what symbol, what entity, what koach is responsible for the physical construct and existence of the world? He says, that's the sun. That's the sun. And he proves this from a number of places. The first, the first thing the Maharal does is he goes to the Pesukim. How, when we want to describe the entire world, the entire physical world, leaving out the spiritual world, what do we say? Anything that is tachat hashemesh. Shlomo Melech says this repeatedly. Hakol tachat hashemesh, tachat hashemesh, meaning the spiritual world, that's something else. But the physical world is all tachat hashemesh, underneath the sun, not just physically underneath the sun, but it's underneath the rule of the sun. Where else do we see in the Psukim that the sun rules over the physical world? At Hashemesh Lemshelet Bayom. The sun to rule over. Right? And says the Maharal, this also makes sense given what we know. What preserves... Uh, what, what, meaning, what, what preserves nature as we know it? Right? Our, the, the, the Earth's orbit, day and night... The seasons, the, 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 the growth of everything in this world. The sun is basically the most powerful natural force. Now you can argue a lot of those things can be re- diminished more so even to gravity, right? But gravity is the, you know, maybe the, the gravity is the force there, right? But the, 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 the sun's gravitational pull is what keeps earth where it is. It's what defines for us day and night as we know it defines for us seasons as we know them. The sun has, the sun is a, the sun is the physical entity that has the most influence over the natural universe as we know it. That's a fair statement to make. I think it's fair in the Maharal's time, I think it's fair in our time as well. The sun is the physical entity that has the most influence over nature as we know it. Now, there is another entity that has control over nature, and that is what? Human beings. That's human beings. Now, the sun controls how nature works, in a sense. Right? The sun has control over kind of the natural order of things. Right? It controls the framework of the world, if you will. And what do human beings control? What goes on in that world? What goes on in that world? Everything that goes on in the universe, uh, human beings can't define nature, right? But we can manipulate nature to do whatever we want in this world. And human beings are also, interestingly enough, really the only things that are not completely bound by their nature. Everything else is bound by its nature. 
as we spoke about from day one. A fire. A fire will only ever be hot. When it stops being hot, it stops being a fire. Right? Everything that can be said for the natural universe is defined by what it does and can only do what its nature is to do. Because it's restricted by the natural order. Human beings are... Human beings can choose to do whatever they'd like. That is the difference between us and everything else in nature. And explains the Maharal that the fact that human beings can choose to do whatever they'd like is tremendous opportunity and also tremendous risk when you think about it. Why? Because we can be better than everything in this world. Nothing else in the world has the opportunity to be anything more than it is. But we can also be worse than the basic purpose for which we were created. And that is something mind-blowing and something of a- a- absolutely true. Right? N- nothing in the natural world can be anything better than it was created to be as it was created to be. But it also really can't be anything worse. Right? You, you, the fire will never fail to be fire. It'll just always be fire. Human beings can be better than how they were created. But they also can be worse than how we were basically created. Where we're not even performing the minimal function of what Akadosh Baruch Hu told us to do. Forget about making yourself better. You're not even as good as He created you. It's because of our self-autonomy to move about in nature. The opportunity to be better, but the ability to be worse as well. The Maharal explains, and, and, and by the way, this is, this is a point of Musr in the Nevi'ah. And we see this all the time. Where Klal Yisrael, seemingly oddly, but now we understand the Yisod, is blamed for being worse than nature. And you're wondering, like, well, what's even the Keshe? Where do we see that? Well, when Yishayahu Perak Aleph says, Yada Shor Kono. An ox knows its owner, but Klal Yisrael doesn't even recognize the Kodesh Baruch Hu. What's the Keshe? You're comparing me to an ox? Yes, exactly. Because that's the point the Navi wants to drive home. Right? You were given free choice to be better than how you were created. And what you're doing with it is being even worse than you were created. You were given free choice so that you can be the greatest thing in the natural world. And what you're doing is using free choice to being worse than animals. Because at least animals are doing what they were created to do. Maybe not much more. But at least they're executing their basic natural instinct. You're making yourself even worse. Similarly, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hazinu HaShemayim, in the Sifri it says, What's the pshad in Hazinu HaShemayim? Amar lem istaklu b'shemayim? Moshe said, look at the skies. Uba'aretz, and the ground. V'chul asher ba'am, anything in the skies and anything in the land. Asher barati l'shamesh etchem, I created to serve you. V'ein lem schar v'odesh, they have no uh, reward and punishment. V'heim lo shanu miratam. Right? And they never once did anything different than what I instructed them to do. They operate under the basic laws of their nature. And they're not departing from that. You, however, 
who I had greater expectations from than nature, who I gave the opportunity to be the best thing in the universe, are not even behaving as good as them. Now, we've established that the sun basically has the autonomy over the physical world as we know it. Right? The, 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 the basic framework, the structure of the world. And human beings have the opportunity to create from the world greater things. I mean, the basic, basic structure of the universe is what the sun has autonomy over. And human beings basically have the autonomy over making the world as great as it could possibly be. So what, what would you say preserves the status quo of the universe? Human beings or the sun? The sun. The sun preserves the status quo. It preserves everything in the universe as we know it. And who has autonomy over perfecting the reality of the universe? human beings. So what's the sun's focus? Preservation of status quo. And what's human beings' focus? Perfection. And now we can understand why the 365 lotases are connected to the chama and the 248 ases are connected ramach evari. Because we said that the Lota says were, you're created this good, right? Don't destroy that. Just preserve your basic structure. And the Asses were, use what you have to execute your potential. Dig deep into your storehouse and make yourself better. So the Lota says, which are about preservation of status quo, are connected the sun, the Yemotachama, which is responsible for the preservation of the status quo in this universe. Whereas the Ramach Ivari are connected a person's uh, physical being. Because a person is responsible for bringing potential into reality. And the Maharal goes on to say, by the way, this is also shot in Akarish Baruch Hu creating us in his likeness and in his image. Right? What meaning? Are both of those referring to the Neshama? I mean, we're, we're human beings, right? So the human aspect of us, you know, is our physical form, I guess. And then the godly aspect of us is our Neshama. That's what we would assume. But then what's Tzalmo and Muto? Or Tzalmenu and Mutenu? Right? What's, what's both? Tzalem in his image and in his likeness? I thought we were made in the, you know, in, in the image of God and the likeness of apes. You know? Like what, like, what do you mean in his image and his likeness? Says the Maharal, yeah, exactly. You're Ramach Evarim. That's divinely significant. Divinely intended. This is a deep relationship with your spiritual character. Even your physical, 
appearance is godly. Even your physical appearance is godly. Yes, you have the neshama, which is godly, but the makeup of your, of your physical nature is not coincidental either. Continues the Ma'aral. V'tamik yoter be'inyan zeh v'teida v'tavin sh'ashemesh v'adam shnei melachim. You go a little bit more in depth, you see that the sun and human beings are two kings, in a sense. Two rulers. Ki Hashemesh hu moshel be'olam, v'adam hu moshel benimtsayim. Right, the, the, the sun, as we said, is kind of the ruler over the world. And men and human beings are the rulers of what's in the world. It's Chomer and Tzura. The sun is responsible for the, the Chomer, the physical makeup of the world. It preserves the earth as we know it. No sun wouldn't have much of a useful earth. Right? And we wouldn't be able to rely on nature as we know it. The sun preserves the physical nature as we know it. But everything going on in the world, that's, that's human controlled, right? We pretty much make of it what we will. We decide the purpose of things. Just make sure I didn't skip a part. Yeah. So the sun is responsible for the chomer, the physical makeup, and human beings are responsible for the tsura. The form that it takes. We're not changing nature, but we are deciding how nature is being used. Just like if you take wood and build a desk, you're not making it not wood, but you're definitely deciding how it's being used. That's the idea of Chomer and Tzura. And the Maharal says as follows. V'yadu'a, v'yadu'a ki... And it says, by the way, chet, and another word for, or another term for chet would be failure to perform a lota say. Where does that come from? Where does chet come from? Where does failure to do a lota say come from? It's not coming from the Shema. What does it come from? Does it come from your divine nature to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu and your spiritual impulses, but you just were wrong and you did it in the wrong way? No. Where does hate generally come from? Being overwhelmed by your physical impulse. So where does hate come from? The Chomer or the Tzura? It comes from the Chomer, your physicality. What's your Tzura? Your Tzura is your purpose. Right? Your tzura is your spiritual purpose. What's your chomer? Your physical makeup. You're a physical entity at the end of the day. You're made of flesh and, 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 and bones and blood. Right? You're, you're, you're physical. Right? Now where does chet come from? Where does avera come from? It comes from when the physical sides of you just overwhelm your impulse to do good. Right? It comes from the chomer, not the tzura. In which, in which case... It makes perfect sense that the lota says are kineged yimotachama because the sun is responsible for the choma, the chomer, and not the tzura. This is just another raya for the idea that we're discussing. Not just a raya, but it's just understanding the depth of why things are the way that they are. 
Because the sun is responsible for the chomer of this world and human beings are responsible for the tzura. And the chomer of this world is the physicality and the tzura is the purpose and the use. And chata'im are an extension of the physical impulse overwhelming you. And chata'im are the failure to do the lot ases. A chet is not the failure to do an ase. That's the tzura. A chet is the failure to do a, or the failure to follow a lot ase. And so it makes perfect sense that the domain of the chomer in this world, which is the sun, is also the domain of the lot ases because that is the physical impulse that you're, that you're, that you're uh, 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 surrendering to when you do a lot ase. Okay. Now this is cool. Says the Maharal, that also explains what? That also explains why men and women have the same exact lotases. Same exact lotases. Why? Because in what way are men and women exactly the same? We're physical beings. Oh, you can say that the physical makeup is a little bit different. Okay, but also the physical makeup in every human being based on their genes, whatever. But basically, men and women are physical beings created of the exact same atoms, the exact same minerals, the exact same everything, no? Basically, in which case, if the lotase is the failure of the chomer, the lotase is the chataim, are subject to the realms of the chomer, the physical, as we explained a number of times, it makes sense that men and women who are physically identical will have the exact same lotases. Where do men and women differ? In their spiritual purpose. What spiritual purpose? Tzura, that's not chomer. Your spiritual purpose is your tzura. We're identical in our chomer, and so we're identical in our, in our lotases. We're not identical in our spiritual purpose. Men and women don't have the same spiritual purpose, in which case, what are we different in? Our ases. Because our ases are the tzura, and it makes perfect sense. Furthermore, the Maral goes on to say, and by the way, that's, that's also, I meaning, then you should say, well, we should have a different amount. Why do men have more? Why are women potter from mitzvot aseh man gram? The reason is as follows. The, 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 the deep chiluk between men and women's physical state is being created perfect as opposed to being created with the, oper- to, with the responsibility to pursue perfection. Who is created on a higher spiritual level? Women. And who, are crea- who is created with a greater responsibility to pursue perfection? Men. And you can also just see that in Maase Bereshit. Because as the days go on, the later on in Maase Bereshit that things were created, they were created more in their full form. Right? Whereas, you know, you have the most simple organisms being created first in nature, and then you have animals being created, and then you have man being created, and then you have... Women being created. 
So women in their, in, 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 in their essence are created on a higher spiritual level. They, in their very existence, are closer to spiritual perfection. But then men have a higher responsibility to make their lives about pursuing spiritual perfection. Now, that's spiritual perfection that you'll never actually reach, but their very nature defines what we're supposed to be doing. Women have more of a focus of, upon preserving their status quo because they're more close to a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the very nature of their existence. Men have more of a focus about improving themselves because they're created further and more about spiritual perfection. Not perfection in the, uh, in the adjective form, but perfection in the verb form. To perfect yourself. And that's why we have more mitzvot. I've also heard that suggested as the chiluk between between, uh, uh, the, between the, the, the brachot that women say in the morning and that men say in the morning, right? Shasali Kirtsono is that Akash Baruch Hu made me in accordance with his ratzon, near perfect, right? But, but when, when men say Shalom Asani Isha, we're thanking Akash Baruch Hu for the opportunity to have more opportunity in this world. We have more to move. Meaning we have more to do to execute that potential. But women were just created on a higher spiritual level itself. And now we understand why. Right? Where we differ is the tzura, our spiritual potential. So we have different mitzvah ase, which is about the perfection of the tzura. But because we have the exact same physical makeup, we have the exact same chomer, which is the exact same lotase. I'm gonna get to, I'll take questions at the end. So please remember, I want to hear them. I just, uh, I'll take questions at the end. Right? Now, says the Maharam. Now, what is above and beyond both man and the sun? Above and beyond the physical world or the, the physical structure of the world and the physical makeup of the world? That's the Torah. And therefore, the Torah mandates the Asses and the Lotases. The Torah mandates the Chomer and the Tzura of everything that exists. Now, I, I, we don't even have time for this. We don't even have time for this idea is so deep and can be seen in many other places in the Maharal's writing, but it just, it makes, I'm gonna try to just sum it up because it, it, it makes a lot of things make sense. With every philosophical question that's to be asked about Judaism and Torah and Alacha, you should really be asking one of two questions. I'm not sure if we've spoken about this already, right? One is, why the world needs this? And two is, why you need this, right? Meaning, what's the purpose of the mitzvah? Is the purpose of the mitzvah just so you can perfect yourself? I know that we've mentioned earlier the Machloke Behil Beit Shammai, which ultimately result, you know, resulted in a conclusion that they argued over whether it was better for human beings to be created. They both agreed at the end of the day, no, it's actually worse for human beings to be created, but now that you're created, just do the best you can. Do a lot of mitzvot, make it good for yourself. And you gotta wonder, well, if it was worse for us to be created, then why create us in the first place? Because we weren't created for us. We were created for a purpose beyond us that we're trying to facilitate. Now that we're here, we also have to work on ourselves. But what's brilliant and this is what the Maharal says explicitly, straight out, in the first parak of Nativ HaTorah is, the brilliance of the Torah is that it's Seder HaOlam and Seder HaAdam together. 
Because what is good for the world, meaning what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to see in his world, the form that he wants to see his world taking, right, is produced by the actions that also perfect you as a person. Which is brilliant. You, could, you may have thought to say, okay, there are things that are good for me and things that are good for the world. I, I as a human being, uh, who are commanded by God, have to focus on both of them. Got to do some good things for the world. Got to do some good things for, for myself as a human being. No. Your responsibilities are one and the same. Because what the world needs for you to execute its potential, the potential of Kaddish Baruch who created it for, the potential that was so important that he messed you over by creating you in its pursuit, right? That also happens to be the best thing for you. One action, one mitzvah. So with every mitzvah, you always have two questions. And this is Maharal says explicitly, later on in Tiferet Yisrael, we're going to see. The question of mitzvah, and Tamei mitzvah, and the Rambam says his Tamei mitzvah, and the Ramban says his Tamei mitzvah, and everyone projects their Tamei mitzvah, and says to Maharal, you're only talking about what this is doing for man. But we're not even here for us. We're here for the world. So your first question should be, what is this doing for the world? What's the time? What's the reason for this mitzvah in its impact on the universe? And then the inflexive purpose for how it impacts you. It's always that twofold, but they're never at odds with each other. Because whatever is good for the world is good for you. Right? You, 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 have, you have this kind of harmonious relationship. Kodesh Baruch Hu created man with the same... Uh, Kodesh Baruch Hu created man with the necessity to do for the world what is also good for himself. Spiritually speaking, right? So, the, the Maharal goes on in the first paragraph of Nativa Torah to basically explain that when we say the words, if you're in my, my Shkafash here, then you saw the, the source inside, right? If you, when, when the world says, when, when, when Shlomo Melech says, Yitmoch dvarai libchash mor mitzvotai right? Let my words sustain your very existence. Or Eitz Chaim Hilamach And the Torah is a lifeline to grab onto. What, what, what does it mean the Torah is, the Torah sustains your very existence? What does that mean? And for that matter, what does it mean? And I think it's Yirmiyahu that says, that Akash Baruch Hu says, had it not been for my Torah being learned day and night, the world would cease to exist. And there's a Gemara that basically says the same, right? That Akash Baruch Hu made Masib Reishi contingent upon Klal Yisrael accepting the Torah. What does it mean? How is the Torah the thing that's keeping us in existence and the thing that's keeping the entire world in existence. So the Maharal explains that it gives us purpose. It details our exact function in this world, right? And without purpose, we're meaningless beings. We're meaningless. So your existence in the world is basically tantamount to your execution of your purpose in the world. Because if you exist in a meaningless sense, then you exist but just barely. You don't exist in any real significant sense. You don't exist in the sense that Kadosh Baruch Hu created you for. Now, that's what's explicit in the Torah. In your commandments, do this, do that. that. That doesn't exist for the world. It doesn't say, and this is the purpose of land. And this is the purpose of sea. No, but through the mitzvot, through the obligations, and how everything in the universe is used in the greater context of the Ratzon Hashem, the world also has its purpose. So, if we stopped performing our purpose, or if, or if the world was no longer serving its function, because no one was using the things in this universe in the pursuit of Ratzon Hashem, they would cease to exist. Literally? I don't know, maybe. I mean, people stop doing mitzvot and they don't die, right? But for all intents and purposes, you would cease to exist because you would cease to be any significant entity of purpose because you're existing for no purpose whatsoever because you're not existing for the purpose that you were created. 
This is what the Maharal is hinting to when he says that the, and he by the way says it straight out, I'm hinting to something. We spoke about it elsewhere. I know, right? The, 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 the Torah stands above the sun and human beings. The Torah stands above the Chomer and the Tzura. Yes, because the Torah is what mandates everything the world needs and everything man needs. The purpose of human beings and the purpose of the world. There's this harmonious relationship between the two of them because the human beings are the people put in this world to execute the mission of the world with an inflexive execution of their own self-improvement. But the Torah is what mandates the purpose of everything and for all intents and purposes keeps everything functioning in a purposeful manner. Okay. And the Maharal just closes off by saying, by the way, there's another similar Midrash to what we mentioned. Not 365 days of the year and, uh, and, and 248 limbs. Rather, 248 limbs and 365 sinews of the body. Right? The Gidim. Right? He says, by the way, it's all one Inyan. Right? There's no machloket between the two of them. It's all one Inyan. Like we said before, there's a divine essence to the nature of... To, to the, there's obviously the, the Neshama, which is the divine aspect, the purely divine aspect of man. And then there's our physical makeup, which is divinely ordained in our physical appearance. But then there's just the physical part. Right? Then there's just the physical part. Our physical appearance has spiritual significance and physical significance. Right? So the chiluk between the Evarim and the Gidim, the Shesa and the Ramach, in the physical realm is suggesting this is that exact same chiluk. Whereas the Ramach is, is, about the, is about the spiritual side of our physicality, that divinely intended significance to our appearance, and the Shesa uh, uh, Gidim is the, just the physical makeup, not, our divine, not the divine aspect of our physicality, but rather the mundane aspect of our physicality, in which case it, it conveys the exact same point as the Shemesh being the Chomer. So that's the Maharal on, uh, on, on, on deeply understanding the mitzvot. So what we said in the beginning is that these commandments aren't arbitrary, right? They are, uh, uh, they are as, as spiritually needed for our existence as food is physically needed for our existence. And by the way, you can't eat anything, right? You can't just think, oh, well, you have to put things into your system. Eat dirt your entire life. See how healthy you are, right? The, 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 we, we eat things that give us the minerals, the nutrients that we need, right? It's perfectly uh, constructed to our physical necessities. And so too, by the mitzvah, perfectly constructed to our spiritual necessities. Now, we didn't get into each and every mitzvah, and I'm not sure you can, strictly speaking, because there's just, just only so much you can know. But what we touched upon is not how every single mitzvah is exactly what you need, but how the basic categories of mitzvot, being ase and lotase, are uniquely tailored to your existence as a human being.